October skies, much to see this month in the heavens. Three planets approaching the moon very close, plus many meteor showers to enjoy. Looking up, we remember the Lord's handiwork. We can marvel, and we also remember Galileo's telescope. It was 1609, and a math professor at the University of Padua introduced his new invention to officials in Venice. Modeled after Dutch-made spyglasses, this early telescope was no Hubble. It was made of wood and leather with only eight times magnification. But the more he looked, Galileo was convinced. Copernicus was right that the Earth wasn't the center of the universe, but orbited the sun. He was right, but ahead of the times. He was sentenced for heresy to house arrest the final decade of his life. When we think we are the center of the universe, we're wrong. Jonah learned this from the fearsome Ninevites when they turned to the Lord despite his grumbling. The Father's grace to us in the Son is always the center. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris, sharing the great story that's all about Jesus. And this is our final day in a weekday series called Come and See. All week, we've been looking at remarkable conversion stories out of the Old Testament. And in a moment, we're going to look at another story that involves a reluctant prophet named Jonah and an entire city coming to faith in the Lord. If you haven't heard the story in a while, stay with me and hear how it points us to Jesus. You know, the Lord always moves in ways that show he is mighty. He takes the weak and foolish things of this world, and he uses them for his glory. Jonah is such an example, and so is Lee Strobel. Lee was a journalist at the Chicago Tribune. He was also an atheist. So when his wife Leslie came home and announced she had become a Christian, first thing he wanted to do was disprove her newfound faith. But he found that to be a little more challenging than he thought. One of my heroes was C.S. Lewis, a man who began as a skeptic, much like yourself. At the end of his journey, you know what he said? He said, if Christianity is false, it's of zero importance. But if it's true, there's nothing more important in the entire universe. So you want your wife back? Well, hey, guess what? People in hell want ice water. Not everybody gets everything they want. Stop blaming me and the church and God and do your job. Stack up the evidence, follow the facts, and write the story, win or lose. A scene from the DVD called The Case for Christ, based on the real-life story of Lee Strobel. And that was a co-worker of Lee's who happened to be a Christian, challenging Lee to keep on searching. When Lee and I were together, he told me he was very excited about this film because it's reaching a new group of people who may have not read his best-selling book by the same name. You know, my passion now as a follower of Jesus is to spread the word of his love and grace as far and wide as I can. And I know a lot of people won't read a 300-page book and they won't mm -hmm. go to a church. But mm -hmm. you know what? They'll go to a movie. So when PureFlix um, came to me and said, hey, we want to make a movie of your book, I said, absolutely, we're going to reach a whole new audience that, um, uh, that we would not otherwise have reached. And that's what evangelism is all about. That's what I'm all about. I know that's what you're all about. And uh, my hope is that Christians will take a risk and, and watch the movie with a friend who's spiritually confused and then have a great conversation about it. I completely agree with Lee Strobel. The Case for Christ 
is a perfect way to share the gospel with family, friends, or neighbors who might be skeptical of Christianity. The film got great reviews. It's entertaining. But more important than that, this movie is a very honest look into the life of a skeptic. And it'll help you better understand where that skeptics are coming from. In fact, Lee encourages people to invite skeptics over, enjoy the movie together, and pray the Lord opens doors to talk about Jesus. So after the program, call us. Make your generous gift to this listener-supported ministry, and we'll send you right away a copy of the DVD, The Case for Christ. Our number to call after the program 800-654-2836. That's 800-65-HAVEN. Or go to our website at haventoday.org. That's haventoday.org. And while you're there, watch the movie trailer and a couple of clips from this inspiring film. Now let's get started with Brandon Heath, Jesus, Son of God. You came down from heaven. Earth you formed was not your home. A love like this, the world had never known. A crown of thorns to mock your name.
perfect life. You are the sacrifice, Jesus, Son of God. You are Jesus, Son of God. You are Jesus, 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 Jesus. I want to ask you a Bible trivia question that really isn't trivial at all because it reveals the heart of God. Here's the question. Why did Jesus call Peter Simon, son of Jonah? Was Jonah his father's name? Or did Jesus give him that name as a prophecy? Was he telling Peter that he would be a prophet like Jonah? Well, while you're thinking about that, let me remind you that you're listening to Haven Today, and I'm Charles Morris. We just opened with Brandon Heath and his song called Jesus, Son of God. So do you have an answer to my trivia question? Well, let's see if you can catch it as we read together from Matthew 16. I'll read just uh, three verses, I guess, starting at verse 15. Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Was Jesus giving Peter two new names, son of Jonah and Peter the rock? I think he was. Earlier in the same chapter, Jesus rebuked the Sadducees as well as the Pharisees for asking for a sign from heaven. He told them the only sign they would be given was the sign of Jonah. Just about everybody knows the story of Jonah being swallowed by the big fish and three days later being spit out on dry land. Jesus was saying that just like Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, He was going to be three days and three nights in the grave. And then, just like Jonah emerged miraculously alive out of the fish, Jesus was going to emerge alive from the grave. His resurrection would be the sign that he was truly the Son of God. And then, just like Jonah went and preached to the great Gentile city of Nineveh, which we know as Mosul today, and he brought them to repentance and faith in God, the message of his death and resurrection would be preached to the whole world and would bring many to repentance and faith in God, and the preaching would begin with his disciples, with Peter taking the lead. I think Jesus was giving Peter a prophetic name when he called him son of Jonah. And as the story unfolds, we see that Peter really was like Jonah. Jonah ran away from God. He ran away from the call of God to go to Nineveh and preach to them. And Peter ran away as well. When Jesus was being questioned at the high priest's house, just above the Kidron Valley in Jerusalem, just before his crucifixion, Peter denied his Lord. He denied Jesus three times. Remember the cock crowed? And he ran away. 
And even later, when God called him to go to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, and give him the good news of the gospel, Peter balked. He was willing to preach to his fellow Jews, but a Gentile? That was the same problem Jonah had with going to preach to Ninevites, pagan people. He was a prophet to Israel, but no prophet had ever been sent to a Gentile city. And not just any Gentile city, but Nineveh? It was pagan. It was the worst of pagan cities. It was an enemy of Israel. But God said, go. And after the miracle of the fish, you know what Jonah did. He went, and Peter went too. He went to Joppa, to the house of Cornelius, the Gentile. Joppa was the same city Jonah sailed from when he was running from God. But Peter went there in obedience to God, and his preaching was received with great joy by the entire household. I think Jesus gave Peter the name son of Jonah because he was going to be sent with the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. And I think Jesus saw the book of Jonah as a pre-picture, a foreshadowing of what God was planning for his world. The world. It's a mess, isn't it? I don't think anyone would argue that point with me today. When God looks at this mess of a world we're living in, what does he see? What's in his heart? Well, the book of Jonah tells us. It starts by telling us God notices Nineveh. He calls Jonah and says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. If we'd been in Nineveh, life would have seemed pretty normal. Just a B.C. version of modern cities of our world today. Cab drivers honking, people hurrying out of subways, the addicts, the prostitutes sleeping it off. It's just a normal life, the life of a fallen world. But it's not normal in the eyes of God. The biblical definition of the world is human beings organizing their lives apart from God. What we call normal, God calls wickedness. And it's coming up as a stench under his nose. It's being done in his face, and he tells Jonah to go and cry out against it. And eventually Jonah did. He warns them that in 40 days the city is going to be destroyed, and lo and behold, they repent. Jonah's preaching was God's word, and it had the power to make them aware of the reality of the living God. It had the power to make them see their sin and learn to fear the judgment of the Lord. They cried out for mercy. And God relented. He didn't bring his judgment against the city. But Jonah got mad. He wanted Nineveh to get what was coming to it. So God reveals his heart to Jonah. He says, should I not have compassion on this great city full of so many people who don't know their right hand from their left? Should I not have compassion The book ends with that question ringing in our ears. God looks at Nineveh, and he sees their sin, and it is an offense to his holiness, and he's going to bring judgment on them. But unlike Jonah, he is glad when they repent. He withholds his judgment. His heart goes out to them in pity. They are thirsty. They are lost. They are even clueless. 
and he wants them for himself. That's the heart of God. The book of Jonah ends with that question, should I not have compassion on my world? And that takes us back to Matthew. How much compassion does God have on his world? Jesus is the answer to that question. More compassion than we could ever have dreamed he could have had. Later in Matthew 16, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to die. It says from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, but on the third day be raised to life. Remember, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And remember what Jesus did? He turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What are the concerns of God? God is concerned for his world, his lost world. He asked the question in Jonah, should I not have compassion on my world? And here he is showing us the fathomless depths of his compassion, his love. He's giving his son to take on the sin of the world, to personally endure our punishment. He's giving his son so that through him, the world can be saved. Nineveh wasn't saved. Their repentance was only temporary. The fear of punishment didn't stick, and they went back to their old ways. The prophet Nahum tells us God renewed his judgment against them and left Nineveh in ruins. I saw a little bit of those ruins when I was outside Mosul a few months ago. Some of those ruins are still there. ISIS managed to take down the very bridge in West Mosul that Jonah would have actually crossed. And today, the city is just like it would have been before. It's gone. Very few people are living there today. There is a great need for the Lord. But the preaching of the cross has the power to bring true repentance because it shows us both God's judgment and his compassion in one penetrating, heart-rending message. It shows us his judgment, his very serious intentions to put an end to this situation where humanity has organized itself apart and against him, but even more. It shows us his compassion, his looking out and seeing the lost with such heartbreak that he gives his son to take her place. They're brought together on the cross. God's judgment and his compassion meet at the cross. Never was his judgment against our sin more dramatically portrayed than when it was poured out on his very own son. How sobering. It should awaken the fear of God in all of us. And yet never was his compassion revealed like it was on the cross. The gospel is a great welcoming message calling us home to our God. It tells us his arms are open wide and his heart is full of mercy. And he is inviting us to take refuge in Jesus from the judgment to come.
Classic hymn freshened up for us today by Kelly Minter, Rock of Ages, here on Haven Today, and a program called Come and See. I'm Charles Morris. As you heard earlier, Lee Strobel wanted nothing to do with Christianity. He was a skeptic of a journalist that could only see the facts in front of his eyes. And he told me he was really upset when his wife became a Christian and started following Jesus. So he set out to destroy her faith by showing her the resurrection never happened. But something happened to Lee that was remarkable. And when you watch this film about his conversion called The Case for Christ, I think you'll be encouraged as you watch and follow Lee's spiritual journey to faith. Whether you watch it alone or invite some skeptic friends or family over, you'll enjoy this movie. It's well made. It'll open doors to talk about Jesus in a very unique way. So may I encourage you to call us right now. May I encourage your generosity. Send your gift to Haven Today, but also ask for your copy of the DVD, The Case for Christ. We are listener-supported, so pray about how much you can send and then partner with us to share the great story of Jesus with others. And remember... This DVD contains bonus features like interviews with Lee and Leslie Strobel. Why don't you call us right now? And the number to call is 800-654-2836, 800-65-HAVEN. Or visit our website at haventoday.org, haventoday.org. And while you're there, watch the movie trailer. And check out the extended interview that we did with Lee on our Great Stories podcast. I'm Charles Morris. Thank you so much for joining me. Won't you come back again next time when again we get to share together the great story. It's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. Worry, trouble, anxiety, just the mention of those three words might send tremors through your soul. Or maybe you've been able to outrun them for a while. The world we inhabit daily is an anxious world. The constant beat of work, eat, sleep, repeat, brings with it a profound sense of worry. What if I haven't done enough? What if my future isn't as secure as I thought? Well, Jesus has words for us. Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. The Father knows how to take care of his own. 
our future is in his hands. So we can take our eyes off our troubling tomorrows and fix them on Christ. Find daily encouragement in God's word with Anchor Devotional. Try it out at getanchor.com.